Thank you for joining us on the sermon podcast for Mars Hill Cumberland Presbyterian Church. We love being able to distribute our sermons in this format, but we would love it even more if you could join us in person at 5208 Crow Mountain Road in Russellville, Arkansas, or online at the Mars Hill Cumberland Presbyterian Church Facebook page. We have Sunday school classes at 9 a.m. with a worship service right after at 10 a.m. Let's now prepare our hearts to hear a message from God's Word. have your Bibles this morning, uh, turn with me into the book of Proverbs. We'll be in Proverbs chapter 29. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 29. I'm not going to make you stand because I'm going to read the entire chapter. The entire chapter is uh, 27 verses, uh, so I won't make you stand for that. But if you would, let's be attentive to the reading of God's Word this morning. Proverbs 29, uh, 1 through 27. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. Whoso loveth wisdom rejoiceth his father, but he that keepeth company with harlots spendeth spendeth his substance. The king by judgment establisheth the land, but he that receiveth gifts overthroweth it. A man that flattereth his neighbor spreadeth a net for his feet. In the transgression of an evil man there is a snare, but the righteous doth sing and rejoice. The righteous considereth the cause of the poor, but the wicked regardeth not to know it. Scornful men bring a city to snare, but wise men turn away wrath. If a man contendeth with a foolish man, whether he rage or laugh, there is no rest. The bloodthirsty hate the upright, but the just seek his soul. A fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it till afterwards. If a ruler hearken to lies, all his servants are wicked. The poor and the deceitful man meet together. The Lord lighteth both their eyes. The king that faithfully judgeth the poor, his throne shall be established forever. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. When the wicked are multiplied, transgression increaseth. But the righteous shall see their fall, or, yeah, the righteous shall see their fall. Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. A servant will not be corrected by words, for though he understand, he will not give answer. Seest thou a man that is hasty in his words? There is more hope of a fool than of him. He that delicately bringeth up his servant from child, shall have him because his son at length. An angry man stirreth up strife, and a furious man aboundeth in transgression. A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Whoso is partner with a thief hateth his own soul. He heareth cursing, and betrayeth it not. The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be saved. Many seek the ruler's favor, but every man's judgment cometh from the Lord. An unjust man is an abomination to the just, and he that is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. Since the reading of God's word, word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God, this is your word. We are your people. Would you come and bring light to these words that we've read this morning? Would you come and open up our hearts and minds? Would you come and let us hear the joy and the good news that you want us to hear 
from these words. Father, open up my mouth that I may speak truth and wisdom. And Father, that the foolishness of my own thoughts that are not from you would be silenced and muted. We ask it all in your name. Amen. I am not a crook. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Read my lips. No new taxes. If you like your plan, you can keep your plan. What do all of those phrases have in common? They're lies told by former presidents of the United States while they were in office. George H.W. Bush, the first one, he said, read my lips, no new taxes. Of course, we know the famous Bill Clinton quote. Richard Nixon is the one who said that he was not a crook, when in fact he was. Uh, Barack Obama said, if you like your plan, you can keep your plan. And just in case those weren't enough lies for you, Lyndon B. Johnson said that we're not about to send American boys nine or 10,000 miles away from home to do what Asian boys ought to be doing for themselves. At the same time, and with Johnson's approval, the Pentagon was preparing to deploy the first wave of over 100,000 American troops to Vietnam. Of course, Donald Trump lied about having an affair with Stormy Daniels. Joe Biden lies every time he says that the economy is the best that it's ever been. We know that's not true. You, you know that every time you go to the grocery store and a can of green beans went up from, went up from 89 cents to $1.89. We live in a world that love, that we live in a world that loves lies and dishonesty. As a matter of fact, we love liars, and we show that love for liars every election season when we run to the polls and we cast our vote for the politicians that tell us the lies that we want to hear. As long as some of you have been voting, you surely didn't believe the guy that you vote for is going to do everything he promises, right? Surely you didn't believe all of the promises coming out of his mouth. Or, you know, I mean, here's the deal. You, if you don't believe your wife when she says, Honey, I'll be done getting ready in five minutes, then surely you don't believe that the politicians you vote for are going to keep all of the promises that they make. And surely not. Now that we've established that we all love lying politicians enough to vote for them, let's talk about why that's a bad idea and how to break the cycle. You might think that breaking the cycle of liars in leadership might begin at the polls, but what I would like to argue this morning from Proverbs 29 is that breaking that cycle actually begins in the home. So just for a broader context of the entire book of Proverbs as a whole, Proverbs is made up of observation, contemplation, and instruction. Uh, for example, if you were to go back to Proverbs chapter 24, verses 30 through 34, this is what you would see in the, in the broader context of the book as a whole. Uh, this is what Solomon says in Proverbs 24, 30 through 34. He says, I went by the field of the slothful, and by the vineyard of a man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles, and covered the face thereof, and the stone wall thereof was broken down. And then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. Notice what he says. He says, I saw it, I considered it, I looked upon it and received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that that traveleth <clears throat> Sorry. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. 
So what's Solomon saying there? Solomon's saying is he walked by the house, he walked by the property of someone who was lazy, and he could see that they were lazy by the fact that the the grass was overgrown. He could see that they were lazy by the fact that their fence and their yard wasn't well kept, and he found them sleeping. He found them folding their hands over their chests, kicking back in their lawn chair, and he saw them sleeping when they could have been working. And so what Solomon said is when he saw that, when he saw that, he learned from it. And that's, that's the entire book of Proverbs. The entire book of Proverbs is Solomon looking out over the course of the world, identifying patterns and learning from those patterns. And so what we see is that Solomon sees the world in patterns, he, which is why all of the book of Proverbs is made up of statements where he says, wise men do this, fools do that. Righteous men do X, while wicked do Y. You know, he even starts out the book in that way when he says in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, he says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so what, what Proverbs 1, 7 is telling us is that the fear of God is more fundamental to our learning than our ABCs and our 1, 2, 3s. If we're going to learn anything, we have to understand that there is a greater power than us. We have to understand that, that there is a smarter power than us. If we're going to learn anything, we have to understand that we don't have all of the knowledge, uh, uh, the, all of the knowledge available to us. So when we come to Proverbs 29, which is where we read this morning, we have to understand that these are things that Solomon has learned by watching the way the world works. These are things that Solomon has learned by watching the way the world works. And and I think if we were to step back and look at the world, we would agree with Solomon. We would agree with Solomon when he says that when the righteous are in authority, people rejoice. When the righteous are in authority, things go well for people. Now, it might be hard to, it might be hard to share in that observation since we haven't seen an era in time where the righteous have actually been in authority. <laughs> You know, it's, it's been a very long time since someone has had a decent amount of authority and we can point to them and say, you know, that's a good guy. <laughs> but I think we can, but I think if we were to look at the course of the world, we would agree that when the righteous are in authority, people rejoice, the world flourishes. And so the question before the house this morning is how are leaders made? Whether they're wicked or they're righteous, Leaders are made somehow, right? They get to that place somehow. And what I want us to see this morning is that leaders are made in the home. Leaders are made in the home. Because what happens is children grow up to become leaders, and leaders grow up to rule nations. And I think Proverbs 29 makes this argument, because if you're just, if you're just reading Proverbs 29, it looks like it's a lot of disconnected statements that are, that are kind of pushed together. It, it seems that way, because a lot, of, a lot of Proverbs, after you get past chapter 9, a lot of the Proverbs seem to be disconnected about various topics, and they seem to be just kind of shoved together in chapters. But if you really pay attention to the way Proverbs 29 is laid out, it starts to make sense. Because if you notice, it's not that, it's not that Solomon begins talking about the discipline of children, and then he changes the subject to leadership. The things, that are, the, the things that he's saying are actually cohesive and they make sense. For example, he says in the very first verse, he says, He, that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, 
shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. Well, it seems that after he says that, he changes the topic to the righteous being an authority. But he's not changing the topic. He's actually saying that he's actually staying on topic. He that being often reproved, harketh his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, <clears throat> and that without remedy. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. So what Solomon is saying is that, that when it comes to people, when it comes to people, you can do one of two things when you're corrected. You, when someone comes along to correct you, you can do one of two things. You can either harden your heart, or, or as the text says, hardeneth your neck, meaning that you don't get anything out of it. You just, you just kind of let it fall off like water off a duck's back. Or you can make yourself pliable to that correction. And when you make yourself pliable to that correction, what happens is, what, what happens is your character is being formed. Your character is being formed. And so eventually what happens is when your character is formed enough, you're considered righteous. I mean, on a practical gospel level, we know that our righteousness only comes through Christ. But Solomon here in Proverbs 29 is speaking in general terms. So when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. And so Solomon connects the idea of leadership to discipline. He connects the idea of leadership to discipline. Because what happens is whenever you've got a lot of wicked rulers in the world, it's apparent that they're not disciplined. It's apparent that they're not disciplined, and they want to create space for other people who are not disciplined. And, of course, we, we understand how, the, how, the, how our world got to a place where, for example, in 2015, the Supreme Court allowed same-sex couples to the constitutional right to marriage. Well, how did we get there? We got there because a bunch of undisciplined people got in power, and they created space for more undisciplined people. And you see this idea of discipline being connected to leadership again. If you look at verses 15 and 16. Look at verse 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. In verse 16, when the wicked are multiplied, transgression increaseth, but the righteous shall see their fall. Now again, it's one of those places where it looks like Solomon's talking about one thing, and then it looks like he changes gears and talks about another. But again, these two statements, verses 15 and 16, they're connected. Because Solomon says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. So if you just, if you just let children run around and do whatever they want on their own terms, and you let them define the bounds of their own behavior, they're never going to choose well. You have, to give, you have to give solid boundaries and solid discipline to your children. And what happens is, when, when you don't do that, they grow up, they become wicked, and then verse 16 says, the wicked are multiplied. When the wicked are multiplied, transgression increaseth. Well, there's a lot of transgression in our world, and I think... I think a lot of us would agree with that. You don't, you don't have to look at the news for five minutes to understand that there's a lot of transgression that goes on in our world. Well, why is that? 
It's because the wicked are multiplied. There was a, I don't remember which school shooting it was. There's been so many school shootings in the last several years. But one of the school shootings, um, they interviewed the mother of the kid that brought a gun to school and started shooting up kids. And the mother actually defended her child. I, I watched this on national news. She said, well, if he hadn't been bullied, he wouldn't have done that. It's like, how can you defend such behavior? <coughs> Transgression increases because the wicked are multiplied. But, notice the last half of verse 16. Notice it very carefully. When the wicked are multiplied, transgression increaseth, but the righteous shall see their fall. The righteous shall see their fall. Well, what does that mean? It means that, that chaos can't continue. Chaos is not sustainable. You've heard me say this before. Chaos in a culture is not sustainable. It may be sustainable for about 20, 30, 40 years, but it can't just keep going. Eventually, unless there's, unless there's a standard that people have to abide by, the whole society just falls apart. I was watching a clip from Jordan Peterson, and he was talking about marriage. And he was talking about, you know, just, you know, of course, he, I don't, I'm not sure that he's a Christian. I'm not sure that I would consider him a Christian. But he said just as an objective viewpoint in his studies about the, healthy, the healthier marriages, he said the healthiest marriages that he's ever seen are made up of a heterosexual couple, man and a woman, and they have a stable home life, and they're raising their children to become stable people, and, and good citizens of their community. He said that's the ideal family core. That's the ideal family unit. And what happens is you've got a lot of people who want the blessings. I mean, I'm going to say blessings. He didn't use the term blessings. There, what happens is there's a lot of people who want the blessings of that core family unit, but they don't want to adhere to the standard of that unit which is why you've got people who are in polygamous relationships. You've got a, you've got one man with three women or you've got you've got two men, three women, whatever, and you've got these polyamorous relationships of people they want the, they want the blessings, they want the glory that comes from biblical marriage, but they don't want to adhere to the standard of biblical marriage. And the problem is when you don't adhere to the standard, life falls apart. So chaos is not sustainable. When the wicked are multiplied, transgression increaseth, but the righteous shall see their fall. Well, why is it that the righteous see their fall? Because the righteous have a standard. I don't know if you ever studied much about the fall of Rome, but when Rome fell, there was a certain people group who were left behind to pick up the pieces of Rome. Christians. When Rome fell... Christians had to build society back from the ground up. We have to get used to the idea that America is probably going to fall within the next 50 years. And when it does, Christians, Christians who adhere to the standard of righteousness, are going to be the ones left behind to pick up the pieces and rebuild society because we've allowed so much chaos into our world. And we have went to the voting booths and voted chaos into office. 
year after year. And we think, well, if I vote for this guy because he wears a red tie, or if I vote for this guy because he wears a blue tie, he's going to come in and he's going to fix everything. And that's not the way it works. Because we, we, we've got too many people in office who are undisciplined, and they're creating space for more undisciplined people and more undisciplined behavior. And this pattern continues in Proverbs 29. If you go to verses 17 and 18. Verse 17, Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. And then in verse 18, verse 18 is a very famous verse. has to do with, a lot of people use Proverbs 29, 18 to talk about the necessity of a, of a church or an organization having a vision for itself. You know, a lot of pastors will say, well, this Sunday we're going to cast vision for the church. And they'll use Proverbs 29.18 as the justification for that. But Proverbs 29.18, although it's a good principle, if you're going to take it out of context, it's a decent principle. Um, but in context, Proverbs 29.18 is talking about the vision for a society, the vision for a nation. Verse 17 has to do with correction of your children. Correct thy son, and he will give rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. And keep in mind, Solomon's not changing the subject. He's still on this area of, of leadership. He says, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. So what's Solomon saying? Solomon's saying that if you will discipline your children, if you will correct them, that, and you provide a stable if you provide a stable environment for them, and you provide a foundation for them to build their lives on, then they're going to grow up, and they're going to create a stable environment for their children. And when they grow up and they be leaders in society, they're going to they're going to make a vision of a, of a they're going to make a vision of a stable society plain for the people who are coming up under them. This is how society works. And so, again, Solomon's not changing the subject. He's connecting discipline to leadership. Because the discipline of your grandchildren and children is going to affect society after you're gone. Um, I, I saw a post, I think it was on TikTok or Facebook somewhere. Um, it's like, hey, hey, you, hey, you know how you do that thing where you leave the last roll, the last piece of toilet paper on a roll and you wait for someone else to change it? And they said, yeah, boomers have done that with an entire society. And, like, I don't mean all boomers have done that, but just as a general rule, they say all boomers have done that. Um, and I think, that's, I think that's an interesting observation because it seems like some people have raised their children to be undisciplined and they've waited for society to correct their mistakes. And we see that all the time in the public school system. In the public school system, parents don't discipline their children in the home, and then whenever they send their children to school and their children act like little demons, they're surprised. <laughs> it's like, well, why didn't the teacher do anything to correct my children? And it's because there's, there's no stability. They're wanting someone else to clean up their mess. And so that, and so this is not what I want for us. And, I, and I'm not, I'm not preaching this sermon because I feel like we are this way. But I, but I do feel like we need a reminder of how stability works. 
And so what's the application? If you look at verses 25, 26, and 27, the last part of Proverbs 29, you'll see the application. First of all, verse 25. The fear of a man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Well, what does this mean? It means, number one, don't let your children or your grandchildren go up, grow up to be people pleasers. Don't let your children or grandchildren grow up to be people pleasers. The fear of a man bringeth a snare. Because what does that mean? It means that if you just if you live your entire life trying to please people and make other people's thoughts and opinions of you the standard, then you're going to be in a trap every time. You're going to be in a trap every time. Because people's standards change. Societal norms change. And so you've got to have you've got to have a proper standard that's not going to change. We were watching another video on TikTok the other day of this girl, um, and she was asked, well, why are you a Christian? And she said, I'm a Christian because God provides a, a standard that doesn't change. She said, societal norms change. Society, cultural norms change. But God's standard does not change, and if you're going to have a stable life, you need to build your life on a foundation that's not going to change, and you can only find that in Christianity. And so the fear of a man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Whoso putteth his, whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. It means your foundation is not going to be shook up every time societal norms change. Verse 26, many seek the ruler's favor. But every man's judgment cometh from the Lord. So not only should you not only should you not let your children or grandchildren grow up to be people pleasers, but you shouldn't let your children or grandchildren grow up to be authoritarian pleasers. You shouldn't let your children or grandchildren grow up to be authoritarian pleasers. When you have people in authority who allow wickedness and who legislate wickedness in a nation, your children don't have to conform to that standard. Your children don't have to conform to that standard, and you should constantly be reminding your grandchildren and, and children that they do not have to conform to the standard of unrighteousness that is set by our authoritarian leaders in our government. Verse 27. An unjust man is an abomination to the just, and he that is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. So number three, here's, here's the third conclusion. Teach your children and grandchildren that if they do what's right, they will be hated. If they do what's right, they will be hated. We, we live in a world where the, standard, the standards of society and the standards of cultural norms have changed so much that if you actually stand for something that's righteous, you are considered wicked. If you stand for something that is objectively righteous, you will be considered wicked by society. You will be considered close-minded. You will be considered bigoted. You will, be shoved, you, will, you will be shoved out onto the margins of society if you stand for objective righteousness. And this is not anything new. We were promised that this would happen to us. Jesus told us, he told his disciples, he said, he said don't be surprised if the world hates you. The, the world hates me too. You know, we, we want to act like and we want to pretend that Jesus was the most well-liked person. We want to pretend like Jesus, you know, never made anybody mad and he was just everybody's, he was just everybody's buddy. Jesus, Jesus was indeed a friend of sinners, but not every sinner was a friend of Jesus. 
Jesus was indeed a friend of sinners, but not every sinner was a friend of Jesus. And so what do we need to understand this morning? We need to understand that our society does not set the, does not set the standard for righteousness. God does. And some of you have probably already voted. But if you haven't, this Tuesday is Election Day. And I don't typically preach sermons for Election Day because I don't really adhere to the secular calendar that much. But I will say this. Remember that remember that breaking the pattern of unrighteousness doesn't happen in the polls. It happens in the home. Don't vote for people that you don't want your children to grow up and become. Don't vote for people that you don't want your children to grow up and become. If you don't want your child to grow up and lie about having an affair, an affair with a porn star, don't vote for the guy. If you don't want your children to grow up and lie about the condition of the economy, don't vote for that guy. So what do you want for your children? What do you want for your grandchildren? You want them to adhere to a standard of righteousness, right? You want them to trust Christ for their salvation. You want them to embody the character of Christ in the decisions that they make. If that's what you want for your children, if that's what you want for your grandchildren, if, good Lord, if that's even what you want for society as a whole after you're gone, then look for those characteristics in people. Look for those characteristics in people. And if you can't find those characteristics in the people who are running for office, don't vote. I realize I just turned a lot of you off when I said that, and quite frankly, I don't care. <laughs> Look for the standards of Christ. Look for the character of Christ. If you want a society that, that adheres to the, to the character of Christ, then look for those standards. Proverbs 29 looks like it's a bunch of, of disconjoined and disconnected statements about, about raising your children, discipline, and then there's even some parts about, about being angry in there. But understand that all of those all of those seemingly disconnected statements, they tell one solid story. They tell one solid story. And the one solid story they tell is that society is going to be a manifestation of what happens in people's homes. Society is going to be a manifestation of what happens in people's homes. If there's anger, and if there's abuse, and if there's unrighteousness, and if there's unwickedness in people's homes, then the children who are in those homes are going to grow up and be unrighteous, abusive, and wicked when they take the reins of society. And so where's the answer? Where is the, where is the change? It's if we, who are the heads of our households, it's if we who are in charge of our households will look to Christ and adhere to his character. And how do we do that? It begins, it begins by looking to Christ by faith and trusting that he knows what he's talking about and trusting that he knows what he's doing. And when we start there and we set that standard, that standard will change homes, it will change lives, it will change entire societies. 
there was, let me just end by telling this, this story. There was a preacher who went to preach at this church. And what this preacher said was, he said that he got up into the pulpit of this church and he told the congregation that he was going to preach at. He said, you know, on my way here, I passed by a bookstore. And he said, I, he said, I found this occultic book of spells. And he said, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to read you some of these spells and see how they, see how they make you feel. Well, people started getting uncomfortable and people started fidgeting. And before he, before he did that, he said, he said, hold up, I see you getting uncomfortable and fidgety. He said, listen, I really didn't buy a book of spells. I really didn't, I didn't pass by a bookstore, buy a book of spells or anything. He said, but you thought, you thought if I read from this book of spells or whatever, that something was going to be unleashed in your home. You, you thought you were going to get under a curse. You thought you were going to hear something that would be supernaturally wicked in your life. He said, but on that same token, you come into church every Sunday and you read from this book and you don't believe it'll have any effect in your life. He said, why, why, do, we, why do we reach that conclusion? Why do we come in here every week, do the same thing every week, and believe that it has no effect on us? If we truly believe the promises that are in this book, if we truly believe what God has said, and we act on the promises that are given to us by faith, then we will see things change. I truly believe that. And I pray that we all believe that. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, this is your word and we are your people. And I trust, Father, that you would show yourself in power this morning. I trust that you would let this word set in our hearts and in our souls. And I pray, God, that uh, as we leave here, we would leave trusting your promises. We would leave here trusting that you have a better life for us, that you have a better life to offer our society as a whole. Father, I pray, God, that you would give us strength to be an example in our world and be an example in our society. Because, Lord, you didn't create us and you didn't save us just for us to sit around and wait to die. You created us to make a difference. You created us to bear your image in the world. You created us to display the glory of Christ in our lives. So, Father, would you let us go this week and display his character so that people would see our good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. We ask that you would do these things for us in your Son's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this special message. We hope you were blessed and encouraged by the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Now, may the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face to shine upon you, and give you peace. Amen.